0: And welcome to the Sidens of Town podcast. I'm your host, TJ Lannemeyer. With me as always, James O'Hara. Hello. So last time we did this was Uh, (laughs) mid-November. We had uh, finished a parade, but nothing else had really happened. Yeah. Quite a few things have happened since.
1: Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, they probably should have recorded sometime between now and then. But, you know, with holidays and then people not being able to line up correctly. So we kind of messed up. The good news is now pretty much the entire offseason is over mm-hmm. with the signing of Ryan Zimmerman officially today. So that pretty much means they. Now we can talk about all of it. We don't have to be weirdly speculating about can they still afford mm-hmm. Josh Donaldson having <laughs> signed Will Harris.
0: So, I mean, I guess we should they start with Harris, the yeah. the downside uh, Anthony Rendon signs with the Angels.
1: No, unfortunately, yes. Uh,
0: for. 35 a year,
1: yeah. Okay. And, and I think the Nats got caught off guard a little bit in terms of their third base plans with how fast the market moved mm-hmm. with pretty much everybody except Josh Donaldson, unfortunately. Yeah, because Rendon signed really fast, which I thought that would have dragged on for a while. I, I thought that was going to happen more in a situation where they kind of ended up with Donaldson, where it, went until the early January Mm -hmm. and then they decided, Oh, we're going to go with this plan or or we're going to commit to this. Uh, so I was kind of surprised by how fast that went. And it was kind of, it was definitely at a price point. They technically could have matched it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you pretty much would have then your team would adjust. That would have been it. Yeah. (laughs) You would have had to fill the rest of your team with Ryan Zimmerman would have had to be like the starting first baseman. You would have Wilmer Defoe. You still could. You already had Howie Kendrick signed, so I'm counting him. But you know, Mm -hmm. been like Wilmer Defoe, Andrew Stevenson, Michael A. Taylor would have been the bench. You know your relievers. You would have had no. It would have been Sean Doolittle, and then you've been hoping Tanner Rainey and you know Wander Suero were even better. And no, this Brandon Finnegan. Oh, that's not. That's not who it is. Who they said Kyle Finnegan. Brandon Finnegan was the guy on the Royals when they won the World Series.
0: Yes, Kyle Finnegan. Kyle
1: Finnegan has not been in the World Series.
0: That was their first free agent signing of the offseason was one one Kyle Finnegan.
1: One million dollars.
0: The second one, though, was slightly bigger and slightly larger in dollar value with Steven Strasburg putting pen to paper.
1: Surprising how much higher it ended up being, Mm -hmm. Um, especially with Garrett Cole on the market too. It was, well, it made sense. Uh, Inky's worth that much. So, from that sense, you know, I'm fine with it. Um, I mean, and I think the other thing is the Nats wanted to move quickly mm-hmm. to get it locked down. They didn't want to end up in the situation when you lost both Strasbourg and Rendon.
0: No, you couldn't let them both walk. And I mean, in the end, you're looking at that deal the same way that you look at the Scherzer deal of you want three or f- four years yeah. of very high quality. And as long as you get that the last three years or whatever. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was just another sign of their priorities um, the same way they did with Max Scherzer. I mean, that was kind of later in the off season, but you know, especially with you saw with Patrick Corbin, they're willing to pay market rate pretty much immediately mm-hmm. for starting pitching, which they are not willing to do with pretty much any other player. In existence, Mm-mm. you know both Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon. They gave them good, you know, solid bottom, of, probably bottom of their market offers. And even though there might have been an opportunity, especially an opportunity with Bryce, there might have been an opportunity with Rendon to kind of jump in again and go higher. They're like, no, we go. We just wanted to do that. We don't want to pay more for it. But with Corbin and Strasburg now. Early on in the offseason, for both of them, they've gone like pretty much the highest somebody would have guessed mm-hmm. they could have gotten. Like I don't think anybody would have guessed Steven Strasburg was getting more than thirty five million per year.
0: No, I think the the guesses that I saw were anywhere between like thirty and maybe like thirty three.
1: Yeah. So, Which I again, I don't think thirty five is completely no. out of the ordinary, insane, like, oh, why would you spend that much money for Steven Strasberg? It is a little surprising that they got there. Without what it seems with little competition, but I think again that just reflects what their priorities are. They think probably smartly based on their past track record. It's easier to find kind of one hit, you know, prospects. It's easier for them to develop hitting prospects mm-hmm. and find a position for them on the field. Because if you have a guy who can hit, there are eight defensive positions. You know, yeah. probably not catcher. There are seven. Other defensive positions. Plus, you know, you need hitters to be bench guys too. Mm-hmm. So you'll find a place to put them somewhere. You know, Juan Soto left field, Bryce Harper started in center and then he went to left and he went to right. Trey Turner started in center field and then moved back to shortstop once, you know, <laughs> Danny Espinosa left. It's hilarious <laughs> that that was what was holding him up. Um, you know, and Carter Keyboom. Came up to play shortstop a little bit last year. Is also was working at second base in the minors. Is now going to be working at third base. You know they're going to try to find a place. They'll find a place to fit him in. That's easier. Starting pitching, either you can go six plus innings effectively every five ni- every five nights, mm-hmm. or you can't. Right. And then if you can't, you go to the bullpen, and then we see maybe you're effective. But the drop in terms of value from decent starting pitcher to decent relief pitcher is you know huge between decent third baseman and decent first baseman instead. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think, you know, I think they had the right idea that starting pitching probably is harder to develop. It's harder to, especially for a team in the nationals position where you can't, you can't, Afford to have guys called up and just suck. Yeah. And then sit there waiting for them to keep sucking until they finally get good, like Lucas Giolito.
0: Well, in, I mean, you go and look at what they did in the playoffs and you have, they're basically running out of starting, what they say, starting pitchers pitch like 60% of the innings or something. Yeah.
1: I mean, they're between, they almost the entire, you know, Postseason stretch starting from the wild card game to the World Series was pitched by five players. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, six pitchers. Uh so you had your four starting pitchers, and then you had Sean Doolittle <laughs> and Daniel Hudson. And then outside of that, I think maybe one or two actually medium to high-ish leverage innings were pitched by other relief pitchers. And mm-hmm. then outside of that, the rest of it was mostly garbage time um yeah one way you know, or game three against the dodgers when they fell out of that one you got to see hunter strickland also game one against the dodgers <laughs> and then in the world series uh in game two when they had the huge lead you got to see javi guerra close it um and then in game four and five when they were down a, a good amount you saw some other pitchers but other than that i mean anything important was being thrown by them and almost anything in total i think over 80 percent was Mm -hmm. thrown by them so yeah i mean that was another thing where they kind of saw their strategy work out i to be fair not that far off from what they've done in previous seasons it's just a longer time series yeah previous seasons you they've been fairly reliant on starting pitching, but those series have ended in five or four games and that's the end of the postseason. So it's not as impressive when you say, oh, only four pitchers pitched seventy percent of the innings in five games. It's like, wow. Congratulations, I guess. It sounds like that worked out well for real me. real tough. That that was just one game for each and then two games for one of them.
0: Oh, uh, let's see. So after Strasburg signs, uh, then you bring back Jan Gomes on a two-year, ten million dollar deal. Yep. Uh, so that's good rate there.
1: Yes, yeah, so him and Kurt Suzuki are still about the same price as you know one Yasmani Grandal. Actually, a little bit less than one Yasmani Grandal. I think he's making about fourteen per year or so, sixteen per year. I think it's closer to sixteen.
0: To Let's see. Contract. I think it was four fifty four for
1: four. seventy-three.
0: Oh, seventy-three? So eighteen Oh
1: the yeah. yeah, Yeah, eighteen. Wow. Yeah, so that's a lot less. So that's eight million dollars less. Seven million dollars less than one, yeah, it's Monty Grandal. Which that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to have two guys. Um, you know, last year we were hoping Gomes would be you know, the taking up more of the time and kurt suzuki hit his way into and also game called his way into that spot um we'll see i mean i think having suzuki ran and hopefully i mean gomes has been a good hitter before he was not particularly great last year no with the bat. which was unfortunate
0: he it- did turn it on towards the end of the season when he had to step in for suzuki with the elbow issue true um So he did step up at that point, but in the times when they were actually splitting the job, he was not great.
1: No. So, you know, hopefully I I thought maybe it was more injury related at this point. It might just be not that not able to hit that well anymore. Um, We'll see. Maybe he can pop off with a good year. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, having two guys like that helps out, you know, and that's kind of the strategy they went for once they lost out on their third baseman.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. that was the other thing is not only did Rendon sign fast, Mike Moustakis also signed really quickly, which yeah really threw you off because that well you know, he, he signed solid, before anybody right yeah with the Reds to yeah. play second base which is odd since he's a third baseman but yeah he was a very solid third baseman uh, the previous two off seasons he had waited until about February to sign with the Milwaukee Brewers two years in a row uh, so that would have been a really good fallback plan C you know you say Rendon plan A Mm -hmm. plan B Josh Donaldson maybe even Moustakas be plan D plan C could have been looking at trades for Bryant or somebody else like that and you say plan D Mike Moustakas will probably be there in February and you sign him for 15 million per year you can definitely fit that in and then uh, he signed really fast so that put him in a bad spot
0: yeah So speaking of bringing people back uh, on the same day, they brought back uh, Howie Kendrick for uh, two years for twelve. Is it six each? Yeah, yeah. So I honestly thought that they had. Actually, I think it's just
1: one for six. Oh, it's just one for six. Okay. Yeah, I believe. I believe that was the thing is the Rays would have given him two years, and he decided to just take one year with the Nationals yep yeah
0: one for six um so yeah uh, i thought his play last year had priced him out of coming back a from a dollar's perspective but also that someone might give him two years with an option or something to Mm -hmm. bring him around um and at age 35 36 How old is Howie Kendrick? 36, I believe. No, not Howie Kemp? Get out of here. Who the heck is Howie Kemp? No idea. He is 36 going into his age 37 season. You would think that you would also go for the years at that point.
1: Well, maybe you don't. With his health stuff as well, he might rather be in a spot where he can just Mm -hmm. go year to year and decide at the end of the year whether he wants to try again. Next year. I feel like, for somebody like Howie Kendrick, would struggle with retiring midway through a contract, or you would have felt like you made a commitment. Yo, know, if you signed with them for two years, $11 million or whatever, that you had made the commitment to be there for two years, mm-hmm. to then, after one year, say, oh, never mind, I'm going to retire. Right. But they still have to pay you mm-hmm. and all that. Then... He might feel bad, so you know, he might prefer...
0: Well, they don't have to pay him if he retires.
1: Do they not? I don't think so. Wait, I guess that's... I don't know. It's a guaranteed contract, I feel like you do. No. Right. So, they don't
0: They don't get to keep that money. That'd be the easiest gig in all of the world at that point.
1: Well, that's the, that's the risk you should run <laughs> when you give a guaranteed contract out.
0: No, it's not the... Uh, It's not the NHL stuff of, okay, we're just going to put you on (laughs) long-term IR and continue to pay your ass
1: for eight years. Yeah, make sure we hit the salary floor.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Who was it? Chris Pronger, who was, like, working for the NHL and receiving a paycheck from the Flyers at the same time?
1: Sounds right. (sighs) It's crazy. I do know Marion Hossa was traded. Or not Hossa. Was it Hossa? No, it was... uh, He was traded from the Blackhawks to the coyotes so the coyotes could hit the floor
0: uh it might have. it might have been hosa because he had like a nerve issue or something where he yeah. didn't play anymore and then uh, somebody else from the black or from the red wings was too that like was playing in russia
1: Pavel Datsuk, maybe no. i don't think he it's traded uh maybe no somebody else i'm not sure Yeah, Hoso is the one who was traded to the Coyotes. But this isn't a hockey (laughs) podcast, so who cares?
0: All right, so Howie Kendrick uh, marked the end of December for the Nats. Uh, And then they came back fast and furious uh, to start the new year. Uh, First signing Will Harris. You might know that name as the man who gave up the home run to Howie
1: Kendrick that went off the foul pole. Weirdly, the Nats didn't celebrate his signing with that moment <laughs> as they had with Josh Hayes. Well, not Josh Hayes, but some of the other big time players who signed contracts who the Nats had, you know, hit home runs or, you know, like Garrett Cole when he signed with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. The Nats had celebrated with them being humiliated by the Nats. <laughs> by the Nats on, uh, on twitter so weirdly they didn't do that for will harris i feel like he should be let. he was shouldn't have been left out just because he signed with the Nats doesn't mean he gets to escape so uh at this point
0: josh donaldson had not signed but these next couple of signings then basically took them out of the josh donaldson right. well, sweepstakes
1: after Harris, they still could have signed Donaldson, especially for what Donaldson ended up signing for. Because mm-hmm. it was what? four for 70. I think 80? it was 87. Or oh, okay. 87. With like a one year extra option, it would have gotten to like 92 or 94. But it was a, you know, not enough to care, care about the option. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like 87. You know, that's only 22, a little under 22 million per year. Um, in terms of luxury tax situation, they could have signed Donaldson and they could have probably signed as Cabrera Mm -hmm. after signing Will Harris. So that's felt more like where they were going to go with it was that they got Harris. They were going to get either Donaldson or maybe try to trade for Chris Bryant, uh, get somebody in that 18 to 22 million dollar range, you know, get one extra lower cost veteran infielder to help out at second base. And then that would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'd be probably about four to $6 million under the luxury tax line at that point. So that would still leave them just enough money for any incentives and for maybe one trade at the deadline. So
0: instead they went the route of signing Starlin Castro for the Marlins for, I think that was the two for 12. Yes. um, Then re-signing Cabrera to
1: a one year, two and a half million, which was like a really crazy.
0: Yeah, that was a hometown discount, which was interesting because he was here for half a year. Now, granted, he had been here previously.
1: Has been here for one year (laughs) between two different half years. Uh huh.
0: Uh, and then went on to sign Eric Thames, uh, for Milwaukee. Yep. For one for four? Four and
1: a half. Okay. Um I like that, I like between, that dude a lot. Somewhere between those also signed Daniel Hudson.
0: Daniel Hudson was after.
1: Was he after Thames? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I thought he was before. So all of that stuff came
0: out like relatively around the same time. Yeah. But the actual transaction dates, Hudson's not until the fourteenth. Whereas yeah, Thames was the
1: eighth. Technically the announcement order was different. It might have just been uh, when they were able to get in for...
0: Because I feel like Thames and Hudson were like the same day.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think Hudson was ahead of Thames on the same day.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I mean, Eric Thames um, as your left-handed power bat. Pretty okay yeah, with that. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, then bring back Daniel Hudson. And then, uh, yes, no, today officially have signed Ryan Zimmerman back for 2 million,
1: which deal. is the right spot. Yeah. So it's not the worst. I and that's what I was trying to note uh, as we we're going, how people were kind of signing quicker and in, in weirder ways. Cause it explains how the nationals ended up in this spot. Um, I think maybe they would have been better off being more patient with Donaldson, but you know they might have gotten intel from you know him or people you know people around him that he just wasn't going to come to DC. That's everybody's favorite thing about Rendon and Donaldson and any other player you say in free agency. Oh, the Nets should have gone after them harder. Oh, maybe he didn't want to (laughs) come. Like, interestingly, you notice that those people who don't want to come to a specific city always seem to sign with whoever pays them the most money. Yep. And, it's like, and then you get people, like Eric Thames, are like, oh, well, I just really wanted to go join the Nats. It's like, well, I don't think anybody was offering you more than one year, four and a half million to be a left-handed power bet because people don't pay for that anymore. No. So I think you just wanted to get paid. And they were offering you a contract. So, yeah, they kind of ended up in a a tough spot where I think some of those those backup plans got taken away from them faster. Uh, I totally believe that they talked to the Cubs about Chris Bryant. I also believe that the Cubs asked for something high and similar to Josh Donaldson. They decided they weren't going to wait that one out. I mean, the word for both...
0: Brian and Arenado was that Robles was the name that everybody wanted.
1: Right. Well, and Arenado was completely unrealistic. There's no way they would have fit that under the luxury tax. And if they were gonna do that, I mean, they would've there were a lot of other uh, way better plans they could have come up with than trading Carter Keboom and other good prospects for Nolan Arenado, mm-hmm. in his contract. Um but uh, but uh, but So yeah, so but yeah Bryant definitely I think was in play for a minute. You know, Donaldson they were definitely in on um and I, I think they just really decided in the first week of January that they didn't want to wait out until now. mm mm-hmm. Mhm to find out that they didn't get either of them, and then try to come up with a plan. Because uh, if you notice, the only free agents who are available right now are pretty much Yasil Puig. Uh, Marcelo Zuna was signed by the Braves soon after they lost out on Donaldson. Uh, you know, outfielders wouldn't really have made sense for the Nats to sign. Um, I think there's one infielder who's available right now. Oh, Wilmer Flores. Mm. Pretty much. Would have been,
0: which now, that would to have be been fair. That would have been an okay signing, yeah. As your like utility,
1: yeah. I don't think Flores is, is all that far off from Starlin Castro slash as Drupal Cabrera, no nah. territory, um, unless you believe in the idea that Starling Castro is going to Daniel Murphy it up next year, which I do not. But you never know. I didn't really believe Daniel Murphy would do that uh so
0: yeah we'll see here's the real question do you think they're do you think they're actually done at this point
1: oh yeah no they don't have any more room at this point i mean there's they could do something but i mean you don't have that much room under the luxury tax there's no real point in going over the luxury tax so like I said, again, if you were going to go over the luxury tax, there were many way better plans to execute besides hit the junkyard five times and grab, you know, Daniel Hudson and Starling Castro and Estrubal Cabrera, you know, and Ryan Zimmerman, um, you know, and just cobble a team together that way. You would have probably wanted to get somebody who was actually good for more money, even if it took you over by a couple million. I mean, If they were going to go over the luxury tax, we would have Josh Donaldson in D.C. right now, because they would have just blown out the market and won the bidding.
0: No, my only thinking is, if you're going to go acquire somebody that potentially only has a year or two on their contract, you're not... Yes, you're over the luxury tax for a year or two, but you can reset
1: that point. Yeah, the other problem is they they have 25 people already. True. Um, You have three. uh, Your bullpen's kind of full because you want – you got Doolittle, Hudson, and Will Harris. You definitely want to keep Tanner Rainey. And Wander Suero engaged mm-hmm. because they might end up being really good for cheap. Uh, you're going to need that because Sean Doolittle will be a free agent next year, uh, and then two years from there, uh, two years from now, Daniel Hudson will also be a free agent. And who's even to say if Daniel Hudson will be any good next year? Even yeah. Uh, and Will Harris is pretty old. Who's to say how long he's going to be able to keep it up over his three-year contract? So they they definitely got to keep those young relievers around and in spots where they can sort of get you know consistent work in. So I wouldn't really see. And then I mean, you could replace somebody like Ruanas Elias or Hunter Strickland, but at that point, you know, you're looking at you know your sixth or seventh reliever, true, sure. um, or you're looking at your fifth starter. <clears throat> but again since they have Joe Ross and Austin both and Eric Fetty, since Eric Fetty inexplicably has a fourth option. Well, not inexplicably it's explicable. It's just very confusing. (laughs) Um, He has a fourth year option. So you can stick Fetty back in the minors this year. You can use your 26 man spot on both to also be a long reliever and you can use Joe Ross as your starter, or you can switch that Joe Ross can be the guy in the bullpen. Both can be the fifth starter. Uh, They're in a pretty good spot there, too, so I wouldn't see anything on the pitching side, and they have way too many people on the hitting side at this point um, to be really acquiring anybody.
0: I'm just truly curious about, A, what the lineup is going to look like, and then, B, like are you literally just riding a hot hand the entire time for your third base, or...
1: Yeah. So I mean to to start the season, I could see something like Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, Juan Soto, either Howie Kendrick or Eric Thames, um Starling Castro batting fifth, Kurt Suzuki batting sixth, um Victor Robles, seventh or eighth. Because who am I forgetting? Oh, then Carter could- Keyboom. Yeah. Probably Carter Keyboom seventh and Robles eighth. Uh, and then that'd be how I'd start the season, you know, unless Robles or Kiboom has a huge spring that gets you more excited and you can move them up higher. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I'd start that way and then just wait and see who, hopefully, I really, the way they're going to have success is somebody from that six, seven, eight pops off for a great year. Whether that's Castro or Kiboom or Robles, you really want one of them to just kind of jump up to that 125 plus WRC plus level, uh, and then you jump them into that you know three, four, five spot. I guess I already had Castro in the five hole.
0: Yeah, the real so. the one question I do have with Kiboom is how long of a leash do they give him up here? Yeah, just because you also can't sit him for the hot hand because you want him playing games. right? Maybe so how do you, kind of the how they're going to go and balance that of if he struggles anywhere close to what he did in his short stint that he was in the majors last year. Right. Of,
1: well, that's kind of the interesting <clears throat> thing. I don't really think it makes, I mean, maybe they don't have keep him up, but at that point, then you, I don't know. I guess, well, I guess your plan is that you just have a lineup of guys who will all hit the league average to slightly above. Um, and just start as Drupal Cabrera at third base. I, because that's the odd thing is I don't know. Somebody's not getting at bats.
0: Are any of them the way switch hitters?
1: Um, as Drupal Cabrera is a switch hitter. Okay. But so
0: if you were really desperate, you could almost make it a platoon at third base,
1: right? You could. <clears throat> I, but like you said again, then you're not getting key Boom, his at bats, and even then. If you're platooning Cabrera and keep him at third, then you still have Ryan Zimmerman is sitting around, who need you know, who you probably want to get into the lineup. Um, so you could put him at first base. Right? So then Howie Kendrick is taking plate appearances from Starling Castro. I don't know if maybe the idea is he'll just some days stick Castro at shortstop, but and Kendrick at second, but that's going to be the worst infield defense I've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, you basically you would do that on like Max Scherzer's night and say, strike out 27 <laughs> or let them hit it into the outfield. Otherwise you're fucked. Good luck. Um. So yeah, I, the numbers don't a hundred percent work out. I assume this is kind of a plan you'll you see with like college football teams. The really popular ones who have you know only eight scholarship spots that are, you know, they only have eight graduating seniors, but have just signed a class of 21, you know, recruits for the new year. And it's like, ah, uh, interesting. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the numbers always work out. So, you know, people leave, people don't make it into school, you know, they, they get recruited, they sign the letter of intent, and then they don't have the grades. You know, you can kinda of count on this. And I think with you know, Ryan Zimmerman's injury history with his or not his, with uh, Howie Kendrick's injury history, uh even with Trey Turner's injury history, mm-hmm. um and Adam Eaton, you know, there will be a spot spot will be open. You know, if they get all the way through spring training and everybody's still healthy and ready to go on opening day, which I don't think has Ever been true in Nationals history, at least not when they've been since they've been good. I mean, freaking Jake Knoll was on the team last year on opening day. Yeah. You know, Michael A. Taylor, uh, historically, the Nats have almost always started somebody else in center field than who they were planning to on day one, whether that's Roger Bernardino or Rick Ankiel or Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, you know, there's think. always people that, that that just don't make it out of spring into the lineup on day one, uh-huh. and I think I'm guessing that that's kind of their plan here. Is that they had a bunch of guys, uh, like Howie Kendrick, you just can't Howie Kendrick just can't start every day. No, Ryan Zimmerman definitely can't start every day. He can't be relied upon.
0: I mean, for both of them, what's the max you want to see them in a week? Three days,
1: four well, days? Said, now, Zimmerman's healthy. I think I could see him pretty regularly. Because I think he can, I think when it, he doesn't have pain, he can play a lot. And it's not like he gets sore. Yeah. Whereas Kendrick seemed to have like this, you know, soreness issues with his knees. Where it's just, or not, it's, uh, with his ankles because it was Achilles, right? Injury. Yeah.
0: Yeah, his was an so, Achilles, and doesn't... Is the plantar fasciitis... That's just like a recurring right, thing that's at this point, it, right? He
1: has it or he doesn't have okay. it. And I think at this point, it's when he has it, then he's out. And then when he doesn't, I mean, he can play pretty much every day. At least that's how I feel about it. You know, Maybe people who are plantar fasciitis experts will say that's wrong. but I
0: am not a foot doctor.
1: Zimmerman, I feel, is more like you'll just get him on stretches when he's healthy and then he will get injured again and, and go out. Um, and then Kendrick, you got to kind of work with him. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, they got, they got a lot of guys to get injured. Somebody will get, probably get injured and you'll have enough, hopefully have enough good hitters to be able to kind of cover that situation. Or somebody has a case of psychitis. Hopefully you have enough good hitters to cover that situation. um, and, I mean, if you get to opening day and everybody's healthy, then Carter Keeboom can hang out in AAA for a little bit longer. You mm-hmm. can start as Drupal Cabrera at third base to start the season. Uh Work him in without, you will work Howie Kendrick in at first and second and third, you know, giving everybody days off. See how that's going. Uh If one of those guys, especially if it's a Drupal Cabrera, just doesn't have it, you cut him. Then you bring up Keeboom, and then, you know, Keyboom turn, or you put him on the IL with psychitis and you bring up Keyboom.
0: Yeah, so. I mean, a couple million dollar loss here or there, they can eat those. Um, yeah, it'll just it'll be really interesting to see because last year, the glaring hole was four spots, five spots in the bullpen. Yeah. Whereas this glaring hole is only one spot in the lineup.
1: Right. But, it but really, it, it, no. it's really
0: a question mark of how that then affects your offense and your defense at that Right,
1: point. and the whole is really just how you feel about the way a lineup should be constructed. Mm-hmm. Whether it's good enough to just have one really good hitter and seven average to slightly above hitters. No, will that be good enough? Now, the problem is, you know, when Jan Gomes, when you talk about his struggles, if you, if Patrick Corbin stayed a pitch, Jan Gomes is on the lineup, now you're down to six. Uh, Victor Robles can't really get a step up, and he's still you know, below average. Then you're down to five. You know, and if guys are in slumps. You know, it could match up wrong. Who knows for sure? The risk you run is you end up close to the 2015 Nationals, where... You went into the season saying, "All right, we had one really good hitter. We have a couple other guys who should be pretty good hitters," and then they all just ended up tanking. Now, to be fair, the twenty five twenty fifteen Nationals going into the season, you probably felt better about that lineup than you do this one. Yep. Jason Worth was coming off of two awesome years. Ian Desmond was coming off of you know some pretty decent years. One awesome year in twenty twelve, and two more you Know solid seasons, Denard Spann was coming off of career year. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman was injured but moving across the first base. You know, maybe not as much. I'm trying to think of who else was there. Um, you know, and Bryce Harper at that point and Juan Soto at this point, I think you would have felt about equally good about. Maybe you feel a little bit more about Juan Soto, that might be the one advantage to this year's lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll say it. And then uh, they had Yunel Escobar, which I think know yeah. Escobar really matches that Starling Castro as Dribble Cabrera, Howie Kendrick kind of level, where you're like, all right, that guy will definitely be a little bit you know, above average, but I'm not going to count on him to be great. And then it worked out that Yuno Escobar was the second best hitter on the team because everybody else tanked. <laughs> so I think you run a little bit more risk when you're starting at a lower Level of good, you have it's much easier for you to fall off 20 points in WRC plus and now you're below average hitter, right? And before you're above average, um, you know, and then you haven't really shown that ceiling that you could get that 130, you know, really awesome season, uh, except for Howie Kendrick and Eric Thames have both been really good. Although Thames really only puts up those numbers by not hitting against lefties at all, so. It's not like he's an everyday person. True.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we bring up teams that have one good hitter and a bunch of average to slightly above average hitters.
1: St. Louis Cardinals. What, last no, season. what comes to
0: mind exactly is the LA Angels yeah. before this offseason.
1: Yep. <laughs> And then, you know, we'll see if Redone falls into the Angels' curse mm-hmm. where nobody sees. Because so the funny thing is the Angels have signed people you thought should be good hitters. You know, Albert Pujols, mm-hmm. Justin Upton. Uh, nobody would ever have accused Andrelton Simmons of being a good hitter, but yeah, no. he's a good player.
0: But they also um, don't have pitching, so, so they need someone to stop. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, they had guys who things should have been good hitters and they just haven't been. Mm-hmm. Um, or they've just been decent rather than you know world-beating like they were before. So, yeah, it does, feel, it does feel a lot like the Angels. But, yes, the Nats would have much better pitching. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the one thing the Angels have managed to not
1: get. I think the best thing that might have come out of this offseason for the Nats is the Braves not signing Josh Donaldson. Mm-hmm and going with Marcelo Zuna instead. Because that... I I don't know. If they
0: had dropped four for 100 for him, I probably would have been okay with it.
1: I think that would have put the... Especially with their other moves in terms of getting Cole Hamels into their starting pitching lineup and getting all those relievers back. You would have definitely had the Braves a set good step ahead of them. Mm -hmm. At this point, I think you can say the Braves, the Mets, and the Nats are all on equal footing, the Phillies are about a, a step, a half-step behind them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the other thing that was nice for the Nats is that the Phillies decided their last big spend that you can have before getting close to the luxury tax was for Zach Wheeler. <laughs> the morons.
0: I mean, there's nothing like having a season that was derailed by people getting injured. There's no way to yeah. really rectify that than going and spending a hundred million dollars on a guy who has one season when he oh, has uh, injured. Sorry,
1: and and Didi Gregorius, right? Yeah.
0: See my previous comment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that actually reminded me. I was like thinking, I was like, oh, that's right. Then they signed somebody as a position player. I was like, oh, that's right. It was somebody else who has a terrible injury history, very recent. Um, you know, and they got the Nats got kind of lucky. The Mets, for a second, looked like they were gonna bring in enough people. Um, I, that the Potanza signing is really nice, but I think the Mets are, I in was a similar, surprised
0: that more people didn't jump on that. I, mean, I he understand lo- that I used
1: two different injuries last year. True. And I, I understand the Nats being
0: gun shy after their last let's throw yeah. good money at a guy who was really good and right. was coming off of being hurt. But I was surprised that more people weren't in on that.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, you know, but yeah, the Mets kind of similarly to the Braves left a couple holes open. And the that's kind of filled all their holes, but maybe not with the best players they could. Mm-hmm. So I kind of keep them all on an even footing right now. So, you know, good news and bad news. Yeah.
0: Uh, So a lot's happened throughout the league, too. Uh, Last we spoke, we were talking about the the Astros scandal that had broken probably about a week before we recorded. Sort of. And now the punishments have come out. Uh, So the Astros lose first and second rounders this year and next year uh, and were fined $5 million. Uh, Hinch and Lunau were suspended for a year and then about a half hour later we're fired. Yeah. Which that's the one that I find interesting. So if they were only suspended for 6 months, were you not going to
1: fire him? Uh I feel or- like the firing was Crane trying to show that he was not okay with this.
0: But like if that's the case, do that on the front end. That gets broken, and you're like, okay, you guys are out.
1: Well, I, you know, due process and whatever. But like, gotta be fair.
0: You
1: you know your own, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you probably at that point should. Have you known.
0: just call them in and be like, "Is this shit true?"
1: Yeah. Uh, I, it might have been a situation where MLB said not to act Could to have. interfere with the you know let the investigation go through. Yeah. because uh, we know MLB with the way that the players kind of got off were kind of maneuvering and negotiating in terms of trying to get people to answer questions. Uh, in general, they seemed much more interested in figuring out what was done and kind of exactly what it was done, how, you know, how it was done, but not really by who. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. From a player side, the only player's name that you saw come up was Carlos Beltran. And that was, all of once in that report right you um, know and
1: from a justice perspective it's fairly disappointing mm-hmm. um, especially at, at FanFest when you know Alex Bregman gave shit ass quote pretending that he wasn't on the Astros and cheating at the time mm-hmm. um, you know and Jose Altuve tried to just say oh this is just people you know criticizing us and keeping us down or whatever oh uh, just bullshit uh, obviously both of them were definitely cheating mm-hmm um, uh, my other conspiracy theory is that the Astros themselves, some Astros player, was the one behind the Carlos Beltran's niece account <laughs> that leaked the idea that Bregman and Altuve had buzzers on, so that then they could just knock that down as obviously wrong mm-hmm. and not actually answer questions about the real cheating. <laughs> that knew if they threw this juicy thing that hadn't been looked into, reporters would ask about that, and then they'd be like, "Oh, that's stupid. I didn't have a buzzer on." <laughs> Stupid, and it would be like, What about the banging trash can? What <laughs> it's like, no, 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 the, the buzzers that's what we're all interested <laughs> in now, and we're gonna talk about that and how it's wrong. No, it absolutely um, like
0: it fucking kills me, yeah. And then you have
1: the Ashes fan truthers,
0: well, you have uh, some players and like some like former players of like. They're then coming out and, like, blaming Mike Fires for this. Of, like, he broke clubhouse rules. rules, Like, fucking Dallas Keuchel coming out and being like, the clubhouse rule was broken. It's like, go fuck yourself, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Where did he sign? Minnesota? Keuchel? Toronto? Texas? Who signed Mm in Toronto? Mm, Let's see. I know somebody
0: signed it to Toronto. Oh, no, Ryu signed it. Kaiko to went to the White Sox.
1: Oh, that's right. He went to the White Sox. Uh, the other K went to Texas. Kluber. Kluber. In the trade. Yeah. Um, But, you know, so that that's annoying. But I kind of get why MLB did that. Because in terms of trying to prevent things from happening, it's better to get the how mm-hmm. and get told, like, yeah, the clubhouse attendant at the replay. Booth was completely ineffectual and just let us walk in and look at shit and walk out, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably need better security for that. You know, this is the other way we are learning, you know, getting the signals and sending them. Uh, so I, I understand why they did it that way. Uh, but yeah, that's why I, my guess would be that they told Crane not to take any action. Um, so that they could have people as cooperative as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Afterwards, kind of jump springing on them.
0: Well, and it makes sense that you couldn't... I mean, how could you possibly discipline players like Whole Cloth at this point, where like you're talking about, okay, some of those guys are on different teams, so how are we...
1: Yeah, I I think it would have been that hard. I the tough part would have been once each player, suppose each player would have been able to bring a grievance. I mean, maybe they would have been able to combine it into a single case, maybe not. But that would have been hard for MLB. Is they had to have direct evidence, and not just evidence of somebody saying, "Oh yeah, Altuve was up there while we were hitting the trash can." They had direct evidence that the player knew what the scheme was, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: was, you know, kind of directly requesting the scheme to be used, and was using it to his own advantage. You know, so you had to prove, one, that they knew. So, you know, so for Jose Altuve, not only did you have to prove that the trash can was being banged on while Altuve was up, relatively easy. We've kind of been able to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And you say, well, okay, there you go. Altuve was cheating. You should suspend him. The problem is then Altuve comes in, his lawyers come in and they say, well, can you prove, sorry, off, that Mr. Altuve knew why, why the trash can was banging? Yep. Or was his teammates just hitting a trash? Did he just think they were hitting a trash can and he didn't understand what the purpose of the, purpose of the scheme was? You can't prove, can you prove that? Then two, can you prove, That Mr. Altuve knew that they were getting those signals illegally through the video monitor and that there wasn't just somebody in the dugout trying to pick them up and that they were, you know, they were able to just kind of pick up the signals in a specific way and were giving it to them that way. You know, and then three, can you prove that Mr. Altuve knew that they weren't allowed to be using the TV monitors in that way, which you would say, kind of stupid. Obviously, he should know that you weren't supposed to do that. But, you know, it's a competitive sport. The MO for competitive sports, unfortunately, are you take any inch you can. If -hmm. it doesn't say in the rule book that a dog can play basketball, then the dog can play basketball (laughs) until you're told otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think the one who, uh, who got the raw deal was Carlos Beltran. Yeah, so I think Beltran is the one who ended up getting the raw deal out of all of this that the Mets just basically folded to the
1: pressure of yeah.
0: well, he was involved and he was named, so let's go ahead and just can him while we're at it.
1: Fair. I mean, it's also funny, it's like two weeks between when he got hired and when this came out. It like, mm-hmm. Man, it just waited a little bit longer. would <laughs> have known <laughs> this never would have happened. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it's kind of Probably if I would Beltran, I'd be a little upset. That I was the only player who was named specifically because Beltran was not a coach at the time, um, unlike the other people, uh, like Cora, who got fired because he also then cheated with the Red Sox. Um,
0: which I'm still really curious to see what that's going to be.
1: Right, because it's definitely a more advanced scheme, at least from what it sounded like.
0: Well, a more advanced scheme, and the whole thing with Hinch and Lunau was that they were basically told that if they went and did anything that was outside uh, nominally outside of the rules, yeah. then they were going to be on the uh, suspended lists on the commissioner's suspended list or exempt list, whatever they call it. Right. Um, so, so where yeah, does so that put Alex Cora? Who Yeah. At this point, would technically already have two strikes to his name. <laughs> yeah, they're banned for life, probably.
1: Yeah. Um. We'll see. It would probably be a fairly significant. I mean, I, at this point he's kind of shadow banned for life, anyways. Yeah. Um. Same with Lunho and Hinch. I, I. It's possible somebody hires that might be surprised.
0: I could see Luno before Hinch, and Hinch. I mean, maybe as like a bench coach or like some sort of assistant yeah, on a staff. I don't know that you're going to see him as a a manager anytime soon. No.
1: Um, <clears throat> but I, the, the problem, with, I believe Beltran, there were more direct evidence, like email ish kind of stuff, where between communication between him and Cora that was actually documented in some way mm-hmm. that would have been easy to if Beltran disputed, you know, any punishment coming out of it that it would have been easy to show that he did perform, you know, whatever actions they were accusing him of. So I think that's why he ended up as the only player named. But yeah, that is kind of a short end of the stick there to get screwed while all the other players kind of skate away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just that you happen to be in the wrong place at the right time. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, let's see anything else big come out of we had all the Astros stuff. Uh, you alluded to it there for a minute. There was a, a Twitter account that was claiming to be Beltron's niece who was talking about that the Astros were wearing that Bregman and Altuve specifically were wearing buzzers under their jerseys as recently as the AL Championship Series this year. Right,
1: and then everybody thought the video uh, when Altuve hit his walk-off home run against the Yankees in the ALCS, he specifically was telling his teammates not to take his jersey off. Uh, And Everybody thought, assumed that meant that he had a buzzer on underneath, which it could have. Um, It's also definitely possible that Altuve's story that the last time he hit a walk-off home run, they pulled his shirt off and his wife got mad at him for running around without a shirt on. Was true. You could see that. And that's also, he was just being funny. Because um, I assume you would think that his if he was regularly wearing a buzzer under his jersey, his teammates would know that he wouldn't need to remind them not to, to take it off. Right. Be like, yeah, Jose, you're wearing the same buzzer all the rest of us are. We got it. <laughs> it's not... That's or
0: only the special ones get the buzzer.
1: Maybe, but that even... Or they only you think- have
0: two buzzers.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that was Jose's night to have the buzzer on. They rotate them between <laughs> players. So you're not 100% sure which of the good players are wearing it that day. Maybe which, that like... there's a lot of clauses now. I so. was just
0: going to make a joke about them being cheap, but yeah. that actually is, like far more nefarious at that point. <laughs> 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 that you have, like, three of them that you're just rotating Dating between around. it, and it's like, who has it?
1: Who knows? Yeah, it's a shell game. Uh, seems very unlikely, though. Mm-hmm. That would be a fairly dumb scheme. Especially <clears throat> since they came up with a... I mean, the trash can scheme was a fairly easy way to get it so that everybody was getting the signals. Um, I would assume they continued cheating that they had a better screen scheme than trash cans or buzzers.
0: Well, and you have to figure they probably did, but the question is, was it sanctioned cheating or was it still using technology, which they're not supposed to be doing?
1: Right. And then the interesting thing to me is there was a lot of evidence during the playoffs that they were noticing pitch tips and like communicating back to each other Mm -hmm. that the pitches were being tipped. I obviously they were almost certainly picking that up from video of previous starts. Uh, Somebody was, you know, they had digital scouts, I assume, or maybe some sort of machine learning algorithm that wouldn't actually be that hard to do. Basically, you could have a machine learning algorithm that would go through the static images or, you know, the short videos of the pitcher standing there before this delivery and label each image with the resulting pitch that comes out and then see if the, you know, something in terms of the pixels. I mean, the, the hard thing is you'd have to make sure you were able to center all the different times they were pitching all the shots of them before they throw the pitch. You'd have to make sure they were all from the same static location. Mm-hmm. That probably wouldn't be that hard to either do that or you know modify the the shots a little bit to to match them up. You can know, have machine learning that then might be able to determine, oh, the pixels. anytime there's a fastball, the pixels are always in this location, and then the human the user looks at it and realizes that oh, the glove is in this location, or you know his shoulders are like this, you know, are closed rather than open when he's throwing a fastball or something. I would guess that might be something to do, or maybe they're doing old-fashioned, they just have a bunch of video, and they have a guy in a locked room staring at at it forever until he picks something up. They have one
0: savant under lock and key, and... Yeah,
1: and the interesting thing for me, probably that's probably legal, that's just scouting. You made it a little more advanced than they could, but that's not cheating. I think you might veer into the cheating realm if you were using live video to kind of pick up whether he was tipping or not. And then telling the players that would be getting closer. I think maybe that would still be legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, like it's, the point is that they might not be doing necessarily sign stealing schemes all the time, but there's definitely a lot kind of going on there in terms of technology, in terms of kind of trying to find an edge in that way uh, that it would be fairly unbelievable to say that they stopped altogether yeah. in terms of Stein stealing at all, you know, maybe it didn't resort to the level of buzzers or any, you know, sci-fi kind of stuff like that. But I'm sure there have been plenty of times where they've been kind of skirting the way the rules and the spirit of the rules Oh, absolutely. Uh, to kind of get advantages.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I would imagine that there are a lot of teams around baseball that are doing it. Um, yeah. It'll just be interesting if, like, more substantive things like this continue to come out or if this is kind of right the wave in its past at this point.
1: Right. And that's the other thing, you know, with the players. <coughs> and they kind of same thing with the front office. They've they, You know, you fired Lundholm. You fired Hinch. But uh, you left the culture mostly intact. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the front office guys are still there besides, obviously, Topman. Um But Kevin Goldstein, who was seen emailing the minor league people to try to figure out how they could steal Steins from the stands uh, (laughs) while they're at games and that kind of stuff. Yeah, those guys are all still there. um, And all the players are still there for the most part. So it'll be interesting to see whether that kind of gets cut out or not. I would assume not.
0: Which will be very interesting. Because the Astros uh, signed their new manager today,
1: allegedly it hasn't been proven. Technically, only Bob Nightingale has said it.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Which that means it's not happening.
1: Possibly. <laughs> Who knows for sure?
0: I would not back Bob Nightingale. Uh, but the word was, as of earlier today, that they had they were planning on bringing in Dusty Baker. Uh, to manage which would be an interesting turn because again if they've left a lot of that culture there and that new school thinking and style of the game yeah it would be very interesting to bring in your more old school manager with Dusty Baker
1: yeah I don't think he would really put up for that kind of shit Mm-mm. um I mean I think Yeah, I I think it would be good. I'd I'd be surprised. I mean, maybe he does get hired. I just don't really see it as a fit because the the Astros really feel like one of those teams that they're really kind of dictating to the manager. I think that was fairly clear in the report on the cheating scandal where A.J. Hinch decided to take a bat to the TV, the monitor they were using for cheating because apparently that was the best thing he could think of that was that was my favorite rather part. than like actually having any sort of power to tell them to stop and or saying anything to anyone right his thought well, was
0: well I'll just beat up the monitor beat up the monitor
1: <laughs> and then they kept doing it and then that was it he just was like oh oh well i guess they're still gonna do it It's like that kind of showed how little power the manager really had there. Mm -hmm. I think an old school manager obviously wouldn't have a TV monitor. But I think if you get somebody, you know, like Dusty Baker, if he saw a TV monitor and he saw a guy's cheating and felt it was wrong, which AJ Hinch, I think all those assumptions could be said based on the report. He would have told them to cut it out Mm -hmm. if they didn't cut it out, you know, he would have definitely told his bench. He would have told Cora to cut the shit out. Um, If the players kept doing it after he told them that, I think he would have just started benching all of the players who were doing it mm-hmm. until they got the message. Yeah. Now I think he would have done it in a creative way where you not, you wouldn't have noticed something was off. Um, Yeah. You know, similar to the way, you know, and that's kind of that subtlety that really makes a great manager. You saw in the way with Davey Johnson, Kind of handled Bryce Harper early on, where he's trying to give like a, you know, technically was being given a punishment day off, but the optics, he was able to sell it as a regular day off. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just coincidence. Um, you know, somebody like Matt Williams wasn't really able to do that kind of thing. It was very obvious whenever he was doing, you know, trying to take a direct action. I think Dusty, you you know, or somebody along those lines, like Davy Johnson, somebody along those old school lines, you know, Altuve would have sat. Then the next day, Bregman would have sat. Then Springer would have sat. Um, and you would have noticed if you looked at the long sale that, hey, these guys are getting a lot more days off than they were before. Their rate is going up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wouldn't have been like one day, Altuve, Bregman, Springer, Beltran, McCann, or Redick are all out of the lineup on the same day, and the other guys are in. That maybe it would have been that would have been interesting. I think that would have been a little obvious. The response from the media would have been interesting. Yes.
0: I don't know. Ask them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it would be kind of interesting to see Dusty Baker go there because again, I don't feel like the culture is changing that much. Just the names of the people. So I'd be surprised if they got somebody who's fairly independent-minded as Dusty. Although, maybe he isn't as much anymore. I mean, we know with the Nationals, he kind of gave up managing the pitching game, at least reportedly, to Mike Maddox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's some other things in terms of the lineup. And you know some of the personnel choices were decisions he was making in conjunction with Mike Rizzo. And the front office, it wasn't just, you know, he was allowed to do whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think he was, you still feel a little more independence with him than somebody like AJ Hinch or these other kind of empty vassals. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's
0: see. I feel like there was something else that I was going to bring up. Unrelated. Oh, uh, it was announced yesterday that uh, umpires are finally going to do the, the football oh, thing microphone? and yeah, wear a headset.
1: Great. So helpful. <laughs> and announce what the fuck is actually going on on the field. <laughs> you know how useful that would have been during Game 6 of the World Series last uh-huh. year? To like, why specifically are you looking at this?
0: And then they can also like explain why it still was this.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, even though you're wrong. Oh, right, the the problem really was when they reviewed it, and they walked back, and they called it, and then they like walked back to the, and they kept lo- listening for longer. And it's like, what? That is, like, really like, I have no idea what could be possibly happening at this point. Although that that
0: explanation would have been great, of like. You actually can't review this play. Yeah. Dave Martinez then said that we needed to look at something, so we decided to go and get the rules check for him, and then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even remember what it. Like they were talking to them, but it was about something else. Like it wasn't like overturning the play. No, it was like something like, oh, they wanted to protest, and we needed to find out whether they were allowed to or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Something, like, really obscure and weird, Uh, which would have been... Yeah, there's been a lot of times where it would have been nice um, to have that. It would have also been funny that there are other times where the stadium reactions are poor because they don't know why something is happening, even though, like, everybody on TV knows. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that was the right... Call they reviewed it for this reason and overturned it because that you know the TV announcers can help you. Yeah, I figure mean,
0: it out. How many times I'm sitting at the game and like something happens and I have to go to Twitter and be like, what the what That's is going strange. on? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like trying to tweet it really fast. Who's watching on TV? I'm like, people at home? people at the game. This is what's happening. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> how many? It's so much faster out. if the umpire just came on and said like, oh, this is what it was. It's like, oh, okay. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um. I'm really excited for the first time some player gets ejected, and the umpire says some shit or a, co- a manager.
0: No, you know what I'm really excited for the first time that mic is hot, yeah, and they forgot <laughs> that about it
1: yeah i, I just I just want to see like a moment um, it's like, ah, you know, Dave Martinez has been ejected from being a jackass. <laughs> And it's like, turns off the mic. It's like, (laughs) what? I I don't think that will happen. Likely. but But I I feel like it
0: happened once. Is it going to turn into like, uh, soccer fouls, where it's like, uh, he was ejected for dissent? (laughs)
1: Dissent, yes. So. I I don't think that'll happen often, but I, I could see at least one time we get something hilarious like that. Well, the umpire is just so fired up and pissed off about it. He just says something crazy into the mic (laughs) in his explanation. You're just like, wow, okay.
0: (laughs) Well, we've got spring training. Pitchers and catchers are here in what, a week and a half, two weeks?
1: Sometime in February. I know that for sure.
0: Mm, Then probably closer than that, because we're at January 28th. Yes, it is almost February trying to think when the last time I saw somebody put up a picture and say how many days until spring or pitchers and catchers
2: Uh,
0: and the verdict is into pitchers and catchers report between February 11th and 14th. So we're right at two weeks. It's exciting, yeah. I mean the the real question is, you know, granted, spring training stats mean nothing, but it is always more promising when you have someone that is at least hitting well in spring training. That yeah, they're seeing the ball well and all that kind of stuff.
1: It would be much more assuring going into the season if one of Castro, Key, Boom, Robles, even Cabrera. I'll throw him in there. It was just like going crazy in spring training
0: i I mean I'd really like to see kiboom hit that for one of two reasons, either a that he's going to contribute or b he's not going to kill any value that he has yeah that's that's Go my ahead. other concern with relying on him like this right is that you could possibly burn any value
1: that he has I mean, that's an interesting <clears throat> thing. To me, that they didn't end up trade him, but maybe they are feeling okay with him. I'm not really. I'm interested to know exactly what their internal valuation is on him. Um, I feel like they've gotten too many players. If they were really confident in him mm-hmm. to start at third, you don't. You don't need as Cabrera and Sarlan Castro and Howie Kendrick and Ryan Zimmerman, if you're totally cool with just rolling with Carter Keeboom.
0: I mean, it very well could have been the case that anyone who had a third baseman didn't want Carter
1: Keeboom. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it's possible. Um, but I could have looked for trades elsewhere, you know, for mm-hmm. other positions. The interesting thing for me is really, in general, when the Nats have somebody really good, like Bryce Harper or Anthony Rendon or Trey Turner, or Juan Soto or Victor Robles, they like know they have that, mm-hmm. and they keep that space clear, and they're ready to just throw that guy in and just be like, all right, here we go. This is it. this is his time now. Um, they were a little slow with Trey Turner, but you know, overall, yeah, they've been fairly good at at kind of spotting those guys and trading the other ones. And right now, the Carter keyboom path. Feels more like the Lucas Giolito side, you know, somebody we we just want to trade, while everybody else thinks is good because we're not as confident in him. You know, somebody like Robbie Ray as well, mm-hmm. uh, because we can get a lot more value back in a trade. Right. Uh, so my concern, I I agree with you as well. Carter him. one if he's not starting this year, if he's not on the major league roster and he's in the minor leagues, that's Oh, no matter how well he, poor, well or poorly he does, that's concerning to me because that's another year older he's gonna be mm-hmm. when you, if you're gonna try to go trade him.
0: <clears throat> well, and if uh, you're also talking about, granted, it's GM speak, but Rizzo was out there, you know, tooting the horn of, well, he's definitely gonna be on the roster and he's ready to. Yeah, You know, go out there and do it. So if you yeah. go and say those things and then he gets optioned to triple right. A at the end of March, <laughs> uh, there's certainly a uh, a problem.
1: Yeah, so uh, I will say hopefully it, it's a non-issue. He is actually ready to go. He does well enough in spring training. He gets a starting job out of the gate next year and maybe not crushes it, but does well. Mm-hmm. And then this is a moot point. But yeah, this was an interesting inflection point, it felt like, for him. Where it really would have been a good point. If they weren't confident in Keepoom, he should have been traded this winter. Because you would have been at a point where the other teams won't have seen enough of him to sour on him. You know, the public prospect rankings are still good. I mean, it maybe wouldn't have gotten anybody huge. Maybe you really couldn't get Chris Bryant for two years for Carter Keeboom and some other people, Uh, but you could have gotten somebody, you know, they could maybe on the relief pitching side or, you know, second base, one of their other spots. Yeah.
0: And while, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily what you want from your third baseman going at it. But I mean, if he came out and was granted without the defense, if he was Victor Robles at the plate. Yeah. You're probably okay with that. Uh, 750 775
1: OPS. Uh, it depends on his defense. My that's kind of my concern. And Victor Robles hitting that is fine because his defense is awesome. Um I it's pretty much the same as Michael A. Taylor. If Michael A. Taylor could have just consistently hit 90 WRC plus then he would still be the starting center fielder mm-hmm. for the Nationals. Victor Robles will have been traded like two years ago. Probably. Um, but he couldn't. And we'll say hopefully Robles can. Um, but for somebody like Keyboom, unless his defense ends up being way better than how it's been reported so far he's going to have to hit. You're going to have to be at least average um let's see so
0: he's gonna be 22
1: so i mean if he comes in the minors this year and it's like 90 hits like robles 92 90 92 wrc plus i mean it's not the end of the world i don't know if he's really that valuable of a player for this year but i think you could still kind of hope on and project out and see 2021 maybe he takes another step forward offensively, and then you're seeing a good player. I could see that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the comparisons that he's gotten, at least at the plate, are Alex Bregman.
1: Yeah, which is probably a little high, but...
0: Probably a little high, but also, granted, only in 50 games. Yeah. Uh, Bregman, his age 22 season, was a 791 OPS, a 116 OPS plus.
1: Right, which that, that would be about what I would really like to see. Yeah. Uh, especially with the way his defense is, that would be a good. Solid, it'd still be a good solid player. Um,
0: Which, like you want to talk about steps forward, seven ninety one, eight twenty seven, nine twenty six, ten fifteen. 1015. Yeah. in his four years, or just
1: how you how you go from a solid player to an MVP. Yeah, I don't know if we can really project keep him on that that path, but no, I mean that's he, that's
0: pretty high praise at that point.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> if he can get one ten or above with the other hitters in their lineup, it should hopefully be enough. Um, it would be nicer if he was at 125 or above, but you know, am not going to hold my breath? No. No. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah. That's pretty much the only interesting thing at this point is who is Carter Keeboom actually going to be starting at third base or not. Uh, and if so, how are they going to make the, the infield numbers work? Because otherwise your other interesting thing is who's your fifth starter, Joe Ross or Austin both. It doesn't really matter because the other one will stay on the team and be kind man. of a long reliever and they'll probably just be able to switch them if they don't like the performance of the first one. Oh
0: God, who was it? They
1: choose. So
0: it was Tanner Roark and Taylor Jordan. That's who it
1: was. <laughs> And then they both won because um Doug Fister was injured to start the season. Yeah. Which was good because Taylor Jordan would have won coming out of spring, and then Tanner Roark was way better. Yep. Yeah, Taylor Jordan was garbage. Through April. So then Taylor Jordan was out. Tanner Roark in. Tanner Roark is still in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Carbon With wins.
0: a weirdly like competitive looking Cincinnati Reds
1: team. He's not on the Reds anymore, is he?
0: Isn't he? No, he got
1: traded mid-season. Oh, uh, never mind. I then. don't believe he re-signed with He them. is he's a Blue Jay. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he signed with Toronto.
0: That's right, he was traded the A's. Yep. So it is a fairly that. competitive Reds
1: team. I like it what is. they have been doing. Yeah. I appreciate it. So. All
0: right, well, I think that's about all I have. Yep. Um, We will be back here soon enough, uh, once spring training gets going, and start talking and over-analyzing things that we're seeing there. Unless something amazing happens. You mean like Chris Bryant's...
1: uh, Somehow they trade uh, Eric Thames, or they trade like Esjubal Cabrera, Starling Castro, and Daniel Hudson to the Cubs (laughs) for Chris Bryant. Seems uh, very unlikely, but you never know for sure. The whole thing with him is, I'm curious
0: if, like, his grievance, say he won his grievance, if that makes him more or less likely to be traded at that point. Oh,
1: more. Well, yeah, interesting.
0: It would definitely make it interesting. Um, I did see something about that, that the Cubs' uh, so I defense would say- is basically like is close to bulletproof at this point because somebody oh, yeah. got hurt and he came up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, well, yes, we were waiting to call you up, but oh, did, it
1: it re- did it not get I thought it was resolved. Did it not did it get resolved? No, maybe it didn't. I don't think so. I thought I heard something about it. Oh, uh, maybe it was just that he got his ARB deal for this year.
0: Yeah, it's like eighteen something. Um no, like each week it's like, so maybe next week we'll get this resolved and then Nothing happens.
1: Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, it it is interesting. I think, on the one hand, two years would mean that the Cubs would be getting more better, more in value in return, which would actually make it worth it to trade him, sort of, not really, Mm -hmm. from my perspective. But, you know, from a well, like trading players' perspective, it would be. On the other hand, if it was only one year, then it would, other teams would find it more palatable to trade less.
0: Yeah. but barring chris bryant arriving in dc uh extremely unlikely
1: yep almost impossible
0: we will we will be back here in a couple of weeks and then uh yeah we'll uh we'll get going on the 2020 season but until then we are ghosts